Cool. So um, what I'm going to do first up is begin by just recapping the last two Sundays. Then I'm going to let you do some work. Okay, so you're going to get bored of my voice. Um, and uh, it's warm in here and you've got Bibles and you've got brains. So let's uh, go from there. Let me just quick recap if I can. First week we looked at um, essentially that we were made, created as worshippers because we're made in the image of God. Um, a God who is Trinitarian by nature, Father, Son, Spirit, who honours and serves one another in the Godhead. And therefore, if we are made in the image of that creator, as creatures, we are made as worshippers. First main point. Second, God calls us to worship him. And he does so through his word, initially in the old covenant, through the commandments uh, and through prophets and teachers and so on. Um, and he is a jealous God and longs for us to worship him solely. And so we see within the first four commandments uh, and many other times it's reiterated that God longs for us to worship him. And as creatures of the creator, we have the opportunity to either worship him or something other or, so, or someone other. The point of the first talk was really that I think some people, oh, I, I, went, I went to church and we worshipped and then we kind of walked out and we were doing something other. The point is we are worshipping all the time and we're either choosing to worship God um, or not. So we're worshipping something and God calls us to worship him uh, through his word. That was enabled through the sacrificial system of the temple in the Old Testament. But we saw in John 4, Jesus in that encounter with the woman um, at, at the well shows her that there's no longer the place of worship as was in the Old Covenant. Um, her being a Samaritan woman um, in a different place or in Jerusalem. But now Jesus says, you, we now worship in the spirit, he says, and in truth. In the spirit being, being that, that the spirit comes through faith in Jesus Christ into our hearts. We are the dwelling place of God's presence. And therefore we are spirit. Um, we have God's spirit and therefore we can worship him, give honour and praise to him enabled by the spirit which comes through faith in jesus in the spirit and in truth that is obeying the truth of god's revealed word to us so that's if you like the new covenant way of worshiping that we saw that first week which basically means there's no special places to worship and there's no special time to worship so whether we've been at home today, whether we've been at work today, wherever we are, is a time and a place to worship God, to give honour to him. And that word in John 4 is particularly the honour word to worship, or bow down, literally it means. Then uh, last Sunday we looked at that little passage in Romans 12, didn't we? We saw that our lives of worship are lived out in service of God. The, worship, the word worship there is a service word. Since it's the other side of the coin, isn't it? We honour God with that heart attitude, but then we live it out day by day in the way that we choose to serve God. And that is what um, Romans 12, 1 puts as true and proper worship. In a sense, as I said, it was the true, revealed through God, by God's word, and the proper logikos is the word there, true and logical way of responding to all that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's our true and logical worship. And that is the giving of our whole selves as sacrificial, and that's in view of God's mercy. So we've seen those two passages, John 4, Romans 12. Honouring God every place, every time, in service, in response to his gift of the Lord Jesus, in response to his mercy. 
then we got, basically, have a look down at it, you'll see that little picture which came up on Sunday. We've got three circles, whole life, Sunday gathering, singing praises. And I sense those two passages, those two really foundational passages in the New Testament, John 4 and Romans 12, are speaking about that biggest circle, aren't they? Our whole lives of worship, given to serve and to honour God. But then we've got to go, go, well, when people speak of worship, they can't speak of coming to, gather to worship, assembling to worship. And therefore, we came to that kind of point at the end of Sunday. Why bother coming to church? If, if actually our lives of worship are no special place, we could stay in bed and just download a talk. Now, we understand that our worship is enabled through the Word, so we need to be our lives and our minds transformed by the Word, hearing it. Again, why don't we just sit down and stay in a coffee shop and listen to the Word? Because actually we saw that God has ordained means by which that word is to go out and instructed us to gather under the authority of elders so there is teaching but there is also accountability and there's also mutual encouragement because if you and I sit in our beds and just listen to a talk yes our minds would be renewed as we hear the word explained but actually what is really encouraging about gathering is actually just it's hearing how someone else is applying it to their lives and how they're growing in their faith and also how they might rebuke you or correct you as you kind of go, oh, I didn't want to listen to that. I kind of like ignore that bit. So we gather and our worship is so important as we gather because we come under the authority of elders to be encouraged by one another that the word might um, go into us and we might live according to it. So God has appointed means. There are other reasons, and I had a really conversation, great conversation with Eliasis, um, and that was very, very helpful, and perhaps we can talk about that later with other people. Um, I think the other things that I want to mention, which I didn't delve into on Sunday, are sacraments, the giving out of the Lord's Supper, which you can't do on your own, um, according to 1 Corinthians 11, and the difference and distinct nature of the presence of God in the gathering. Not a difference in quality, but a difference in, in by its distinction of the people gathering. Now, it's not something I'm going to dwell into. I'm actually going to, I think I might need to teach a bit more about that later, because suddenly everyone goes, ooh, that sounds a bit temple's crazy stuff of the old covenant. It's just something that hasn't been taught about much over the last 20 years in evangelical circles. And we probably need to teach a bit more on it. So I'm going to teach you there a bit and we'll probably go back to it another time. So why bother with church? Because we come under God's word through his ordained means, under leadership, with accountability. Any questions at that point? Otherwise, my recap has gone way too long. Any questions? Essentially, just go back to your diagram. And if you imagine what it really should look like. If, if your whole life is a life of worship, there should be a number of circles, squares, whatever, uh, uh, places within that biggest circle where you worship. So you could put a circle for work. You could put a circle for family life. You could put a circle like uh, for when you're on your own. <coughs> any time, at any place, God calls us to honour and serve him, to worship him. Therefore, there is no, no time and no place 
which is out of the sense out of your worship time. So let's see where we are. Where are we going to go tonight? Let's have a look at it. Um, if you look down at your outline, we're going to look at four points. Why do we sing? Who do we sing to and for? And singing as a word ministry and as an expression of our affections. So essentially we're going to get to that centre little circle which is part of our gathering as Christians. A part of our coming together as church. One of the things we see as we're called to do is to sing. And we're going to see why that's important. It's not the only element of our worship as we come together as church. We worship God as we come under his word, whether it's preached, whether it's read, whether we pray through it. That is all worship. But particularly we want to kind of focus on singing because it's kind of helpful, because that's kind of the way it's used elsewhere. Oh yeah, we have great worship time as we're singing. Well, yes, that is true, but if you're saying it to the exclusion of all the other elements of worship in the service, then that's not helpful. Do you see why we're looking at it? I hope so. Okay. Let's have a look at it then. So, why do we sing? Who do we sing to and for? Singing is a ministry of the word. And singing is an expression of our affections. Time for you to do some work. Turn to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. And just uh, maybe twos, threes, people beside you, people around you. I want you to answer from just the first four verses of Psalm 92. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? There's plenty of things in there, a number of points. Off you go. Turn to the people beside you. You've got uh, three or four minutes. <laughs> and I've just paused the recording. So there you go. Why do we sing? One, it's good. Um, as we come together, notice the Sabbath day psalm. In obedience, we, it's a good thing to do. To praise, to remind ourselves. Let's go on, shall we? Why do we sing? Um, who do we sing to and for? Uh, we've kind of seen this already, um, Psalm 92, but I want to turn to a couple of other passages if we may. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3 first. Colossians chapter 3. There aren't that many passages in the New Testament that speak of singing and music in the, uh, in the gathering in the, as we come together as church. So Colossians chapter 3, after Romans. See, here's a really good one. Um, why is singing really important? I learned as a three, four, five-year-old the song for the books of the Bible. Oh, and I still sing it through today. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Samuel, Book of Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Kings, Yassi, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Sobadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then the New Testament's easy. But there we go. So you remember it. And I was taught that as a three, four, five-year-old. So there's the point of memory. Um, and it's fun too. 
Anyway, New Testament, there's not many um, passages about music within the gathering as we come together as church. Um, but what we're going to do is look at Colossians 3. Now, I'm going to ask Linda... No, I'm not going to ask Linda. <laughs> Linda's brilliant at Colossians. Let me just give a brief context of Colossians, okay, uh, to begin with. Um, Call to have a life of worship in chapter 1. The hinge verse, chapter 2, 6 and 7. So he says, you've got Christ, stick with Christ essentially. So um, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to be rooted and built up in strengthen the faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, I've missed a bit of the clause anyway. But stick with Jesus. Don't add to him. Don't take away. That's essentially the hinge verse, chapter 2, 6 and 7. Then there's some warnings that take place. Don't be taken captive by hollow kind of philosophy. Then do not be judged by people. Do not be disqualified. Instead, rather, chapter 3, um, it says, you've died with Christ. You've now been raised with Christ. Spiritually, that is. Therefore, set your hearts and minds on things above. Put to death a bunch of stuff. Chapter 3, 5 onwards. And then, spelling out who we are, as God's chosen holy people, dearly loved, he says, put some stuff on, or clothe yourself. Verse 12, following. And then final instructions to the gathered church, who understand who they are in Christ, that they're not to add to him, but and put to death things which are not of their nature now that they're raised in Christ. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And secondly, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Linda, why don't you read chapter 3, verse 16 for us. Yeah. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Brilliant. So, very quickly, just turn to the person beside you again. Who do we sing to for as we look at this verse here? Just chapter 3, verse 16, very quickly. Who do we sing to for? Okay, quickly. Very simply, what? Who do we sing to? Sorry, Margot, what did you say? Sing to God, where do we see that in verse? Okay, anyone else? Who do you sing for, to? We sing for each other, to teach each other. Absolutely. So we essentially see two directions, two purposes of our singing when we gather. There's that horizontal element that we sing to one another. Now that might seem atrocious if some people are singing, but it, 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 bear with us and we'll, we'll kind of work this out. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, sorry, songs of the Spirit in this translation, isn't it? 
Now, don't worry about what those differences are. Every scholar has wasted a lot of paper on that, and there's just no, no one can work it out. With gratitude in your hearts, so we sing to one another to teach and admonish each other. So there's that horizontal element, but there's also the vertical element, isn't there? To God with praise and thanksgiving, gratitude here as well. We're going to come back to this in a moment. So kind of put your finger in it. And if you could then, just let's turn back to Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 5 is the other passage which speaks about singing uh, within the congregation, within the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 18 through to verse 20. I wonder if someone else could read that for us now. Verse 18 to 20 of Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to fortune. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brilliant. I didn't give much, I didn't give any context in it, a kind of Ephesians, but I'm hoping, given we've just spent a year in it, we should be fairly well briefed. Okay? Chapters 1 to 3. What's it all about? Praise to God for reconciling us to one another. To yeah. So it's cosmic and it's big. The work of God in salvation uh, through his word um, and through pr- principally, not is spelt out through his son, the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. Chapter four is the kind of the kind of second part. Where do we then focus? What's the main kind of practical outworking of all that we've seen in that grand work of Christ? What, what is chapter four launch? Life of the church, mm-hmm. yes, and role of Christians. Given all of that, Paul finishes with a prayer, chapter 4, 1, now live a life that's worthy of all that. And very much the context, as Linda helpfully pointed out, is the church united in Christ, Jew, Gentile together, which is a big part of chapter 2, wasn't it? So follow God's example, living a life of love in chapter 5, as the children of light, um, and then we get to the end of chapter 5, and we're called to not to get drunk on wine, not to go back to that way, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Now, why do you think he uses that contrast? Don't get drunk on wine, rather be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're drunk, you're being fully affected by the alcohol. Whereas when you're filled with the Spirit, you're being fully affected by the Spirit, which is a much better affected by. Did everyone hear that? So helpful, but that's where the illustration must stop. And some people take it, oh look, look how you behave when you're drunk. You should be like that and import that kind of drunkenness, lack of control into being filled with the spirit. Why is that an unhelpful conclusion to draw from that verse? Given what you know of the work of the spirit perhaps elsewhere. You were saying earlier, yeah, um, when we worship in spirit and in truth, and that logical and spirit filled worship, so it would not be that logical, but I guess. I don't know, they wouldn't necessarily. The fruit of the spirit is self control. Exactly. Mm. Fruit of the spirit, last fruit, self control. What alcohol does is loses our self control. Its, it's sole purpose to, is to kind of remove inhibitions, okay? And, and therefore, we must stop that illustration there. Absolutely right. Linda's nailed the, the purpose of the, kind of the, uh, the, uh, the link. That is, alcohol consumes 
the whole of you. It changes all of you. Now, he's saying, by contrast, let the Spirit change all of you. It will. And be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Martin Lord-Jones, the great preacher, as he was going through Ephesians, uh, noted, because he was a previous doctor, he said, well, alcohol is a depressant. And the Spirit, if you were to put it in those kind of medical terms, is a stimulant. You should, it, it should fill you with so much joy and life and purpose and everything else um, that is good, whereas alcohol is everything that is negative. I'm not saying don't drink, don't hear me like that. Although Tim reminds us, middle-aged people, we're not <laughs> too much. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. But who do we sing to in Ephesians 5 again? Shout it out. Where do you see that? Um, address, uh, wait. To the Lord at the end of verse 19. Yeah. Speaking to one another. Speaking with one king. Verse 20, give always in thanks to God. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. It's not that we speak a song out and we neglect the music. I don't think that's the point. It's saying we, we articulate... Uh, is the kind of the word there, truths about God to one another, using songs and, uh, and various other forms, and also in praise vertically uh, to God. So do you see the parallels between the two? They're very similar in the purpose of them and in the outworkings of them, uh, vertically and horizontally. So you've seen the, the kind of link. Notice again, what isn't here? It is surprising when you think of church, music, singing. Instrument? Yeah, there's nothing. And that brings about a point which I heard whispered over here. And I'll kind of, this is a slight tangent, okay? Um, but there are no musical instruments in the New Testament. So Jesus, when he comes down the Mount of Olives uh, in Matthew 24, um, he, sings a, he sings a hymn and then comes out and goes, out, goes down the Mount of Olives. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, no musical instruments whatsoever. Now, in history and still today, uh, where you are on holiday, for example, in Scotland, uh, Anna, there are many, many churches who still will never use musical instruments because they apply what's called the regulative principle. That is, the regulative principle is, uh, is this. If it's not specifically mentioned in the New Testament, you cannot do it. Okay? So, for example, if you would go to like the little Presbyterian churches, that we call them the Wee Freeze, up in the sort of highlands, tiny little churches, um, anywhere you go there, there will be no musical instruments. Still today, we are on holiday. Um, we go to this church, my friend's done a kind of church plant in a place called Birkhead, really far north Scotland. They only just, through many, many committee meetings and many, many kind of appeals, just been able to play uh, sometimes introductions, piano, sometimes guitar, and they only sing psalms. And that is the reason, because there is no, if you like, um, explicit mention of instruments, so we do not sing they, have, they used to historically have like a roll of tuning forks. This song's in the key of C, 
ding, see, and then off we go. Sing. And I have to say, I mean, I've always commented when we went up there last time again. Oh my goodness, there's, there's a lady. She like presses a note on the piano, ta da, and then they start singing. It was amazing. The singing was brilliant, and it's really moving. They've got something there anyway, but we'll come on to that. Um, I don't, I don't agree with the regular principle. But I wanted to spell it out. And it comes off these two passages in the New Testament. Um, right. We've done why do we, um, why, we, why do we sing? Who do we sing to and for? We sing to God vertically in praise of him. We sing to one another to teach and admonish one another. Let's, get, let's move on. Um, and let's go singing as a word ministry. We're going to stay in these two passages, and we've kind of looked at it already in Psalm 92, 96. Why do, when I say singing is a ministry of the word, why don't we turn back to Colossians 3, because I think it's probably um, more clear there. Colossians chapter 3. Chris, I wonder if you could read that out for us again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell, in, dwell among you richly, have you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Note of what is central to singing, both in Ephesians, both in Colossians, and throughout, it is singing word, the word of truth to one another and to God. We sing truth about God back to him, because we have the truth definitively in his word and we sing that back to him to give praise and to honour him. We sing it to one another to remind one another of those truths that we might cling to by faith. But notice the direction here. Singing is a word ministry. What is the primary direction of that word ministry? How do we receive the word of God? Think about Ephesians, for example, last year. We're looking at the home groups. How is the word received and how do we come about it? Remember second, um, Ephesians 4 particularly? Anyone remember? It's through each other. Yep. God appoints who? Apostles, prophets and teachers. God reveals his word to the apostles and prophets who then uh, write it out and we have it inspired by the Spirit now in your hand, going out through teachers, elders, uh, to the congregation. But the direction is God to us. God ordains uh, his word. He speaks it out, the living word, through apostles, prophets, inspired by the Spirit, out through teachers, mediated through the word, and we receive it. You see... The direction, if you like, of the, the word of God is downward. So as we sing, the primary direction, if you like, is the word of God, spelled out in songs, down in and through, from the word, out <laughs> to us. Do you see that? Do you want to ask any questions about it? Everyone get that? Because the, because the word is inspired and our songs, therefore, should be what? Biblical. Biblical. And any song that is not, ditch it. We sing, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let this get in us. 
and that comes from God downward. That's the primary direction, if you like. But we've seen those other directions, haven't we? Both Colossians and Ephesians. What are the other directions? Yeah, teach and admonish one another. And what's the other direction? We've had downward, as the word comes down through, through the Bible, out, teach and admonish, then where? Praise back to God. And there, the, there if you like, the, the three directions that we see. Now, let's just think content. Now, you're all bored of my voice, okay? So I'm going to put a video on. This is a church, um, West Coast America. Look at the backdrop. This is kind of regular church meeting for them. Look at that backdrop. <laughs> this is their little gathering. This is all their bands from the church. And they recorded a live CD, uh, live DVD. This is one of the songs they sing. Listen to the lyrics. Swift couldn't have sung so far. Okay, absolutely nothing. Who can compare to you? Oh, it goes on. Listen to the chorus, it gets even better. Imagine Taylor Swift. Oh, it's the second bit, sorry. that last line by your voice the world was created and you call me by name is the first element in the whole song in two verses which is which is anything that's distinct from someone like Taylor Swift can sing now we get to the chorus it's beautiful don't get me wrong who can compare Point four million subscribers, and that one's had ten million views. Um, 
they're the biggest thing around at the moment. And, and let me say all the positives. They, their production values are the highest in the world at the moment. They and Hillsong kind of kind of around for the, the top place. Everything they're doing there is supremely brilliant musically. I mean, you can just feel the warmth, can't you? And it's simple. And you're all laughing with the guy doing that. <laughs> the discipline of that is so, so brilliant. I'm forever telling musicians, stop playing. There's a girl who's probably been to like some conservatoire and has got like grade a million and she's playing a single note on a top string. And it's amazing. And it sounds amazing. And everything about that musically is top notch. And yet, when we look at its content, you really got to worry. And that's where we're going to talk a little bit more in a minute about where we need to kind of like put our alarm bells. Uh, why don't we go, um, just flip back to 1 Chronicles 16, if you may. 1 Chronicles 16. I'm sorry we're jumping around. Shout out a Bible num a page number from the church Bibles. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 419. Page 419 of the church Bibles. And verse 7 following. So 1 Chronicles 16, really verse 8 following. I want you to have a look down again in pairs and so on. Yeah, we've got a few minutes. Um, why don't you have a look down um, and look at the song here. Everyone knows what's going on. I hope um, the Ark of the Covenant has been brought into the temple. David, this is, if you like, the biggest, biggest moment um, of the, for the people of Israel at this point. Everything has been leading to this moment. And what do they do? Then David appointed Asaph in verse 7 and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. And this is the song that they sang. If you look down at verse 8 through to verse 14, I want you to look at the nature of the song. Okay? Who is it about? Look at the content of the song. Who is the main subject of the song? Have a look. Go down. And who are the listening ears? Who is the, who's the main subject? And who are the main listening ears? If we go. Okay, let's have a look. 
Who is this song about? Yeah, give praise to the Lord. Sing to Him. Glory to His name. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Now, I do want to contrast it just to this song we just heard. I mean, I really could have put up anything. I mean, there's so much out there where it is man-centric. It's how I might feel at that moment. And I'm not saying all those songs are wrong. The first hymn to do it was When I Survey by Isaac Watts. And when he wrote, um, were the whole realm of nature mine or when I surveyed, there was such outcry. Because it was the first hymn where, where, where actually there was reflection on who you are rather than just praise to God. Again, because it's really, really hard to find a song in the Bible that speaks anything about who we are. Now, we're going to look at some in a moment, um, but the major, major, the, t- the majority by mile, it's all about who God is. And we praise Him for who He is, and we remind each other of who He is. And not, oh, I'm feeling slightly undone at the moment, um, and this, this, this about me, me, me. Okay? <coughs> so it's all about God. Who's it to then? All nations. Yeah, so it's brilliant. So there's, there's two, two elements to it, but there's also, it's about God to God, isn't it? Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. It, it's about him to him. It's that vertical element, isn't it? So that's there. But also, we see to you, his servants, verse 13, the descendants of Israel, to God's people, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. Uh, it's about God to his people. Second, uh, thirdly, we see in verse 8, make known among the, the nations. We see a little bit of that in the New Testament um, in 1 Corinthians 14, which is kind of that, the model of um, the gathering. Uh, so when we come together on Sunday, 1 Corinthians 14 is such a helpful model. Um, well, really, kind of, you go back to chapter 12. Its foundation is on love, found in uh, the Spirit in our hearts through Christ. And then as we meet together, it is a, a, essentially it's a mutual loving to one another. And how that is worked out is that through intelligibility, through order, and so that the person who comes in, verse 25 of chapter 14, might understand and might hear the gospel, might hear the word being um, either sung, prayed, or preached and so there's a the nations those outside must be able to understand and hear as we sing about the Lord so our content of our songs is so important Colossians 3 that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly if we sing anything which is contrary to this the Bible I think not only in its uh, exactly but also I might say that. Um, also, uh, in priority, that if we if we were to always sing, for example, about the Spirit, that wouldn't emphasise the priority of the New Testament, which is about the glory of the Lord Jesus, who then gives us His Spirit that we might understand His work and therefore glorify the Father. 
do you see we've got to model if you like the priority of the themes of of the bible as well in our songs so the word must be absolute central the words of our songs and the word of god in our songs must be central not the music for example i in the role i have you know go do music stuff it's really interesting people send me clips the whole time of oh would you play this and what do you think of this and i always send them back before i click and i say send me the words on their own in an email and then i'll respond they get annoyed about that but that's what i do and um and then i'll make some comments on the words and if i at that point are saying and i've sort of said i think that's a really helpful song because of this reason this reason it it accords to god's word then i say well, let me hear the tune see if it goes well and that that's where the music needs to complement and to if you like drive those words so they might dwell in us richly in that way any questions on that concert um, as in a Christian band who are singing words about Jesus yeah? yeah anything wrong with that and the crowd sing along mm-hmm. anything wrong with that yeah. is there any distinction from that to what we see here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 it's not church yeah so it's different from a body who are united and know each other in the same yeah. way. And depending on the song, was it not enough for worship? Because one of my questions would be, like, what if you enjoy some of the more meaningless, but maybe not incorrect, but just more vacuous Christian songs? Yeah. <laughs> that you might not, but you might go to a church where, you know, I'm thinking of my niece and nephew down there to their baptism on Sunday, and the music there for my ears is awful. I'd hate it if I was there. Yeah. Because I like Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, yeah. But how how do you then 
how how do you square your personal enjoyment of songs that that may kind of link in with worship but might not be worship like in Christ alone but yeah I can't end that question but if you know what I mean so I'm not I'm not going to be a killjoy I think you know there are lots of great Christian bands um, and I've been to over the years I've been to a number of concerts and I think they're great the question I think the big thing is we've got to make sure there's a distinction between a Christian touring band doing a concert who may even put the words on a screen. That's kind of a popular thing to do now. Sing along with us. You know, it's big and it's loud and it's you know, wonderfully produced and all the things. But how is that distinct to the congregational gathering on a Sunday? Well, what we see here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, I think gives us some principles to work on. Firstly, it's got to be word-centric. I hope a good Christian band would be the same. They'd be singing truths of God's word. Uh, secondly, I think it should be God's... It should be um, if you like God centric everything about God as much as possible our response is in our life um, yes it can be in song as well I'm not against saying well I'm going to go and then therefore and worship you and praise your name and so on um, I'm not a kind of pre-Isaac Watts only about God I don't think Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 restricts us exactly to that so I think, it's, but I think the majority of our songs will be speaking about God rather than us, because that's the pattern we see in the Bible. But that Colossians and Ephesians both say that principally, as you gather and sing, there is a horizontal element singing to one another. It's got to be singable, and this is where concerts differ. If you if you are singing professionally, the pitch of your voice will generally be a tenor. You'll be up right up there um, I'll give you a really bad example okay we sing bless the Lord when I saw yeah? oh, not that. we sing it there E because I put it down bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul okay now Matt Redman who's about 5 foot 2 and sings really squeaky high when he records <laughs> it he plays it in G. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. No girl can sing it. <laughs> now, is that right? That's how it's recorded. No. I, I think there's a real, real problem. And the problem is, I have no problem with singing along to Bless the Lord, oh my soul in G in the car, squeaking it out. But the problem is it's not singable for the majority. And therefore, it is not a congregational song at that pitch. You've got to bring it down. Otherwise, Chris has got no hope. Give it a good go, though. <laughs> <laughs> the people around me the dwell richly element of Colossians as well, I think, points to a, a sense of a memorability. As we look at Deuteronomy 31 as well, so they remember this. Sing so they remember. I think a lot of songs these days have so many parts to them. The first one that did it was um, uh, Blessed be your name. Da, 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 da. And then we got to And so on. Third part of the song. 
Now that was revolutionary at the time. Everyone's going three parts. It used to be like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you're done. It's a third part of the song? No way. Every song does a third part now. <laughs> Every new song does a third part. Memorability? Really, really hard when you put a third element to it. You just don't remember it as well. So there's, there's elements to, in the musical side of things, can you remember it? That's why great old hymns are great old hymns. <laughs> because they have stood the test of time and memorability. They are really simple. See, hymns, I, I'm reading a really boring but scholarly book on, on kind of hymn writing. It's written by a non-Christian from Cambridge um, who's looking at it going, critically, they are terrible poetry comparing to the best poets of the world. Critically, they are terribly, terrible musically against the best cantatas of, you know, you know, time of... Put them together, and he's... It's lovely. He goes, I don't get this. They're so amazing. They're so powerful. Congregations are weeping as they sing them. And this is so annoying because I don't get it because he doesn't have the spirit in his heart. So he, How can he understand this? But he's saying, there's something wonderfully spirit-led, God-ordained, bringing an average bit of poetry, an average bit of music together and making it memorable. Why? Because it's got the Word of God laced through it. And that's the thing that he can't get, but I think it's wonderful as, you, as I kind of read it. So it's got to be memorable. I think last point, principally from those two passages, is it's got to be congregational. What I mean by that is if you ignore the horizontal element, um, you are not singing. I think you are in disobedience to God's word. Let me give you an example. And I don't mean uh, they responded to it very well. Does anyone be to revive when you cannot hear yourself sing because it's that loud? Yeah? Or being to a conference like, you know, Word Alive or so on, where it's so loud you can't hear yourself sing? Well, they're putting a volume, the band are producing such a sound in the PA that they're creating essentially an act of disobedience. You cannot sing the word of God to one another if you can't hear one another. And it doesn't sound so cool, you know, you haven't got your big, you know, like we've just seen Bethel and so on up there. It doesn't sound, but it, it, it's a real danger. You're taking half of the reason that God has given to sing as we gather away if you can't allow each other to sing and be heard. It's a real danger in our culture that you're kind of saying, wrap up the volume because everyone likes it. And what actually happened, I, I've done lots of conferences over the years, <coughs> both in kind of bigger kind of charismatic or more conservative. And it's really interesting how the sound engineers, I know them all around the, kind of, around the country, and they always go, do you know what the loudest singers are? They're the old conservative evangelicals. The old ladies and gents, as they sing their hymns. And they have to, when you record at a conference, you have to put mics in the crowd. <laughs> and they have to put suppressants over the microphones um, at some of these conferences where you get all these old people just go, shouting essentially <laughs> these hymns out. And then they go to other conferences where the music from the stage is really loud but no one is singing at any volume whatsoever. And there's something really, really wrong about that, according to Adam Colossians, where it's saying, we're singing to one another. Even if you're tone deaf, notice there's no musical quality. Notice, nothing there. 
tone deaf. I want to hear you blaring it out. I want you to foghorn truths about God's word into my ear. Because that's for my good and for my encouragement. My favourite part of the song is like towards the end when you know then there's no music and you just it's just the congregation and then there might be music again after that verse yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just even just closing your okay, I know yeah. This matters this before, and I'll play, I'm not supposed to close your eyes, but um, <laughs> um, even just hearing your brothers and sisters singing like a picture of what it will be like around the throne yeah. with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Question Yep. If it's sorry, if it's so important to build each other up in singing, yeah. why don't we ever look at each other when we in the building that we're in now because the chairs do that because the last one it was so straightforward all you looked was straightforward and even now even though it is curved how many people turn around and go at each other or look at each other yeah. and sing at each other yeah. we don't can i encourage you because you're all in different groups when you do put the chairs out of a sunday morning if i'm not giving boring instructions i'll do something else the bigger the curve the better and that's why it's interesting that when I grew up, I grew up in a Brethren church. We sung in the round. We were just all facing each other. Everyone's, you have the what, you know, Lord's Supper table in the centre, <coughs> four sides, and you're all going to have a corner over here somewhere, and you just blare it out to each other, all staring each other in the face. Wonderful. Because it's just so encouraging. So yeah, the more curve we've got, the more we're going to sing to one another. Let's just finish off this last bit. Lots of questions to finish with, Okay. Let's look at singing as an expression of our affections. What do we see in Ephesians 5? Flip back to that if you can. Or, or Colossians 3. Some of you go to Ephesians 5. Some of you go to Colossians 3. Where do we see our affections spelled out in, or emotions if you like, in our singing? Where do we see that? Ephesians 5. Thankfulness verse 20. Yeah. And singing from your heart. So you... That's not exactly that singing from the four you know, chambers of your kind of physiology, but rather the, the, the word is from who you are as a being emotionally. Sing from there, yeah? Colossians 3, sing. With thankfulness in your hearts. Yeah, gratitude, thankfulness in your hearts. If you return to the great passage that a lot of people turn regarding your affections, it's 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9, where it says we're to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy as we dwell on the Lord Jesus Christ which we feel this inexpressible and glorious joy that's sung out in songs as we sing to him um, as we sing um, there should be an outpouring of our hearts but it isn't we've got to be really really the, the critical thing is not to turn it round the other way that we try and create an affection or an emotion that then points us to Jesus. And then we kind of tag the word on at the end. Rather, it should be that the word of Christ dwells in us richly that causes us to have an emotional response to it. If we don't have an emotional response, we do not have the spirit in our hearts. If there's nothing that affects us as we dwell on the glories of the gospel, as we understand what Christ has done for us on the cross if we are not moved by that then we have to doubt whether the spirit is in our hearts at all and and therefore as we sing we must get that the right way around we mustn't try and 
Have we got time? Let me, are you bored? Yeah, let me just do one little tiny clip if I can. Um, and then we'll... Uh, hopefully this will show you. I want to show you this one simply because it shows you... Um, we might learn this song at some point. Um, it's a great song, well produced, well recorded. Um, what they're doing is they're employing a, every musical um, thing that they possibly can in order to um, emotionally, um, oh, come on then you, um, reflect the truths of God's word. Now, I want, you, I want you to so I'll point the musical things out, and I want you to tell me, do you think that's appropriate or inappropriate? Okay? We'll just watch a couple of minutes of it. We'll tell you. Inappropriate. God. <laughs> it should work. I'm sorry if it doesn't. Mouth to stop. Let's not do it. <laughs> Did you want the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, face the wrong name. Yeah, my face, go away. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the TV off if you carry on like that. It's always you. I can't take you anywhere. Come on. Get the right network. Here we go. Sing amongst yourselves, just for a moment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What's doing that? Timmy Mallet. <laughs> 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 oh, why is it still there? Timmy Mallet. That's brilliant. Oh, Do you know who Timmy Mallet is? Wacker Wave, come on. Yeah, come on. Someone just playing two notes on a piano, on an organ. Really simple vocal. Second harmony comes in now. With bass, you feel it. You feel it viscerally. Guitars playing single notes, first and fifth. Really simple. Never do that in church. 
got four verses. Second verse is always a really steady verse. It's exactly what they're doing. I don't think this is bad, I think it's brilliant the way it's done. Is that a guy? Single notes, playing a pad. Okay, we get to the third verse, you might think there's not much going on. Um, They've employed harmony, they've employed a lot of space in the song. Third verse, it's like in Christ alone. Everyone goes down, right? Get to the cross bit. Minor chord, that's about the fourth thing they've employed. Okay. Piano is much more minimalistic than it was before. It's about the fifth thing. Cross and resurrection. That's come. As far as you know, when, when you play music, you have at your disposal 10, 12 different ways of changing a dynamic in a song. Um, they have basically just like put them all in there uh, the whole way through. And I know it's, it's wrong, it's brilliant, but what they're trying to do, I think really sensitively, they get to the cross in verse 3, they go to, minor, uh, to a minor key uh, because it's expressing sorrow for our sin placing Christ on the cross. Then they go to major key and introduce all the instruments back in. Why? Because it's victorious that Christ has defeated death. Is that inappropriate? Because you might look at that and you go, oh my goodness, that feels, you know, that lovely break of the drums just before there and a key change. To go on a blind key change like that is really clever and brilliant. Um, so as musicians, I'm going, whoa, this is good. Is that manipulative though? It's linked to the word, isn't it? The right emotions with the right wording, or not? Yeah, and I, the point is, if you did that song, if you looked at that song with the words, it's fantastic. It's the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, and everything that they can then help musically without getting it to a point of you know just absolute frenzy uh, where you've you're not thinking about the word should help that word dwell in us richly the danger is when when it becomes the dominating thing becomes the music and the emotional response to that music rather than the word and that is a subjective thing but it's something we must be very careful of and I, I certainly you know I when I play in sort of bigger bands and bigger conferences it, it is something I'm always aware of 
Because I, I want the word of Christ to dwell in people richly. Andy, how does this work with like congregational singing? This sort of it's all socially imperfect, and everyone is like, like even the singer is like almost whispering in between. Yeah. And then he's got like two key changes in there. Yeah. Is that helpful? Does that make sense? In a sense, there's nothing wrong with it. It, it would be like I, I say this. Um, often I speak to a lot of pastors and teachers um, at conferences. And they would, they would say to me, oh, you know, this is this kind of stuff, you know, look at look what he's done there. He's he's put expression in his voice, so he's used every tonal range in his voice that he possibly can. He's sung with joy, you see him smiling. He's actually he's actually quite excited about Jesus Christ dying for him. And he's employed all of the musical musical things that he has to give voice and colour to the truths of the word. Now, I challenge preachers, I say, okay, I want you to just stand up and in a monotone voice, tell me the truths about Jesus dying on the cross. And just because many of them don't like musicians being on a stage, I say, why don't you just go and preach behind that pillar over there? And, I mean, I, I'm never, as a musician, I never want to stand in the centre of the stage. I always say, can I stand to the side? Because I want the proclaimed word of God to be central. But if you put me in a position where people can't see me, I can't lead anyone. And I think he's, a, he's one of many who I think model well. He's humbly serving, using the gifts that God has given him to give wonderful richness to truths of God's word so they are memorable and they dwell in the hearts richly. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful of manipulation, but I think where we are, our kind of constituency, we're so far over here in the spectrum of, let's be really careful, and actually, I think we need to take a you know. But with those principles of, we've got to be able to sing to one another. I don't think they're singing particularly, I don't think that band is loud, is it? It's just, it's just very clever and very brilliant. Any other questions? So all, all this applicate things that you've taken from this, how do you apply it to our congregation and what we sing and how we sing yeah. it and how you apply that to us? Let me, let me, we've got three minutes, final applications, okay? I think it's such a helpful, let's land. As far as singing as an expression of our affections, I think we've got to allow ourselves to express our affections. And not, we're not contingent to the music. We're not sort of saying, we've got to have some musical buzz or feeling, like a, if you go to a big concert, you know, Coldplay con concert, where you just feel it and it's just wonderful. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the primacy is that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly, we've got to sing. And we've got to sing to one another and we've got to sing praises to God with joy and gratitude in our hearts. Now it doesn't matter if it's just me or Ali or whoever kind of belting it out on a half-tuned guitar. It just doesn't matter. We all have a responsibility in obedience to, Christ, to, to God and his word to sing and to sing with joy however tone deaf we are. And I think that's where I've, I've learned just from going to, I go, I go around the country to many little churches and they go, our singing's terrible, woe is us. 
and you know you get one or two people there and say come on let's just sing together shall we and let's sing with joy and remember the gospel to one another and it's just it should be so moving most of the problem that we face is we're looking for that injection of that not the singing of the word we're looking for the injection of that sub bass that moog which is a keyboard there which costs three and a half thousand pounds and the guy's just pressing one finger on it but you know it, that's so out there that we're never we're not going to get to that in many 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 years but we do have the word of Christ that we can sing to one another and that should move us and we should be joyful and we should have so much gratitude in our hearts as we sing but can I also say we should also cry and there are I haven't focused on it but there are a huge number of laments in the Psalms not loads but there's, there's a good number and that is as David pours his heart out in sorrow for his sin we should be singing as, as you sing of the glories of Christ if, if you're not recalled in your heart to know how you have shamed yourself before the Lord Jesus that week then you should engage your heart and your mind more and more and more and so often we don't we just kind of like oh let's sing before we sit down and then we'll get to the main bit which is the talk no the ministry of the word begins the, the moment we gather and we pray and Lau introduces the service and we read and then we sing in you know we've all been to places where they have multiple songs in a row yeah and you get that buzz and whatever from it isn't there a sense because we we do maybe two sometimes you know if there's a three in a row it's like oh there's three in a row coming yeah. that's exciting yeah um isn't there a sense of like well it's it's a bit start and stop times because sometimes you kind of you do sort of get into yeah. it and you're like yeah and then it, it, then we're like i'll sit down and then you, it's so I say, I it's, saying, it's a nice sort of momentum in certain yeah. parts and then i think again there's a there's a right and there's a wrong there there's a right in that that there should be a flow to the service and you know if you get a couple of songs together but the flow and what most people are thinking there is there's a flow of music Whereas there should be a flow from the beginning to the end of the service in a pattern of the gospel. We always begin by praising God for who he is and his attributes. We then turn to recognise our sin before him, either in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of confession, or a creed. Because that recognises God and it recognises our need for him and our sin. It's the gospel being, if you like, we call it a gospel curve, going through the service. And then, then we begin to recognize in our forgiven state as children of the light we then have to respond and some of those middle songs are usually response songs before we then pray in dependence to him before we then open the word and then before we hear it proclaimed and then we sing out in a sense in response to what we've heard and whoever led on something which was loud wasn't it did a great link between that sermon and that song so the problem i have with that is that most people are trying to latch on to a, a feeling of warmth, which is nothing wrong with the feeling, but it's that, ooh, it's a nice little kind of linking in music, whereas actually the link should be the whole way through the service. 
And yes, please forgive us if we don't actually make that clear. And, but also, recognising your own hearts, you're looking for the wrong thing. And I'm not saying don't enjoy. The mu- music is a wonderful gift of common grace to it from God. Um, we should enjoy the fact that it stirs our hearts. But when we sing congregationally, the music should stir our hearts in tune with the primary thing must be the word. I'm going to pray in the close. If anyone's got any questions, do this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of being able to sing your praises. And we pray that our singing at church would be an outpouring of our hearts in gratitude to you, that we would sing, shout into each other's ears the glories of the gospel. But we'd also sing praises to you. You are worthy, our Lord and God. But I pray that our worship would not be restricted to just singing, but as we gather as a church, but also as we go to work tomorrow, as we live our whole lives, may our whole lives be honouring and pleasing to you. May we serve you. That is our true and proper worship, your word says. So therefore, may we be those worshippers who honour and please you, I pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, we were a couple of minutes.